Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning into the Sheila Zielinski Show. A lot of people have emailed me lately, and um, we are slowly getting back to everyone. If you have questions or comments, don't forget to send us an email over there at SheilaZielinski.com. And please know that this ministry is 100% listener-supported, no advertisements, no interruptions. We've heard from you, and we've made some very easy ways for you to support this ministry, and I really, really hope for your support. Please do support this ministry. It is greatly appreciated. You can do that over there at SheilaZelinski.com and we've made a whole bunch of very convenient ways for you to support. We took a lot of effort to really incorporate your feedback into how you wanted to support, including Zelle, Cash App, Venmo, PayPal. You can send check or money order to Sheila Zelinsky Ministries. And I really, really appreciate your support. Please know that when you do support this ministry, you're a part of it. That means that you are also involved in equipping the end time saints. And I thank you for that. We pray for every single one of my supporters. Just know that. Well, today I'm entitling, I think this is a very timely message. I have got a lot of emails and people reaching out to me on social media. I have got a litany of stuff. It's called Overcoming Fear and Anxiety, and it's a very timely message. So let's get into it. Look what's going on in the world right now, folks. Everybody's worried. Everybody's anxious. Everybody's absolutely stressed to the max. How much more can people take? I know in parts of Canada, we've been uh, locked down for 18 months and there's no end in sight. The new variants, the new boosters, the new shots, now the forced vaccine mandates. A person can't even go in anywhere, not even a McDonald's, if you don't show proof of vaccination. We're living in an insane world, folks. And people are very, very anxious. People are at the edge. But you know what? By the time we're finished here today on this broadcast, you're not going to have to worry anymore. And I don't care what it is. But Sheila, you don't understand what's bearing down on me. Sheila, you don't understand. I'm not going to have a job in less than a month. Fill in the blank. Whatever you're experiencing, whatever's going on, I'm going to guarantee after this show, you're not going to be worried about it anymore. I don't care what's frustrating it, exacerbating it, poking it. We want to lift the burden based on God's word of worry. Three times we're commanded in one particular passage not to worry. I want to read this scripture here in Matthew 6. Let's start in 19 and we're going to go up to 34. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal for where your treasure is there will be your heart also the light of the body is the eye if therefore thine eye be single the whole body shall be full of light but if thine eye be evil thy whole body shall be full of darkness if therefore the light that is in thee be darkness how great is that darkness No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to put on your body, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? 
Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast in the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Once again, finally, take therefore no thought for the moral, for the moral shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. How can we overcome worry and fear? It's been said that the most repeated phrase in scripture is do not be afraid. Some variation of it's mentioned over 350 times. God said it to Gideon when calling him to lead Israel, Judges 6.23. God said it to Jeremiah when he was calling him to be a prophet to the nations. We're going to get into that a little more. Jesus said it to the woman at the resurrection in Matthew 28. When Adam sinned to the garden, a new word entered his vocabulary. He said, I was afraid. Now man continually lives with fear, fear of failure, fear of death, fear of whatever. Here in Matthew 6, 25 through 34, Jesus is commanding his disciples to not worry about their needs. And previous in the other verses, Jesus was teaching the disciples not to store up treasures on earth. In this passage, Jesus said to the disciples that they had little faith, verse 30. They had faith to believe God for eternal salvation, but not for his daily provision. A preacher once said, worry is sin because it denies the wisdom of God. It says that he doesn't know what he's doing. It denies the love of God. It says he doesn't care. And it denies the power of God because it says that he isn't able to deliver me from whatever is causing me worry. To overcome worry, we must focus on eternal matters of temporary ones. We've got to focus on eternal matters, like becoming holy, seeing each other saved, growing and building God's kingdom. What does Colossians 3, 1 through 4 say? Therefore, if you have been raised with Jesus Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Keep thinking about things above, not things on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life, appears, then you too will be revealed in glory with him. Jesus gives three examples of God's providential care in order to encourage believers to not worry, to not be anxious, but instead to trust God. He's saying, look at the birds in the sky, how God feeds them. Look at the flowers of the field, how they grow. Their clothes are better than that of Solomon. We can discern this with the naked eye as we consider their beautiful, rich color and design. However, if one looked through a microscope, the rich complexity of color and texture would be even more apparent. God is intricately involved in every aspect of his creation. Scripture says that Jesus Christ sustains all things by his word, Hebrews 1.3. Everything is totally dependent upon God. He gives man life, 
breath, and everything else, Acts 17.25. Even our moment-by-moment breaths cannot happen apart from God's grace. Nothing happens apart from God in this world. It all happens in such a way that one could say, God did it. Look at Job 1.21, Amos 3.6, Isaiah 45.6. A lot of times we struggle with fear because we think God's left us. He doesn't care about us. We have to survive on our own. We may not think that most times, but our thoughts and actions certainly imply it when we live out of fear and worry. If we're going to overcome worry, we must focus on God's providential care for us. I think a lot of amount of worry happens because we don't understand our immense value to God. Let's read Romans 8, 31 through 32. What then shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Indeed, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him freely give us all things? We have to learn that everything that God says about us and everything that he promises to do, everything that he promises, he's going to do. We have to internalize these truths. We've got to constantly study God's word, especially important now because the world tells us something very different. In Ephesians 1.18, Paul prays, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. To God, we are his reward. We are his joy, his passion. We are special to him. Since Paul prays for the Ephesians to know this, it means that they didn't know it as they should have. And prayer was a means to grow in knowledge. Therefore, we must constantly be in the word and pray to know as well. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Our God enjoys us so much. He sings over us. And he wants to quiet our fears with his love. Do you know your great value to God? You're his beloved child. Ask God to reveal to you your supreme value to him. And that'll affect verse 31. Do not be anxious. Do not worry. Verse 34. Do not worry. Therefore, to worry is sin. Think about that for a minute. Therefore, to worry is sin. Most people don't even look at worry as sin. They look at it just, well, I'm just worrying. I'm, it's natural. It's just an emotion. But he couples it with this, O ye of little faith. So you think I'm good for eternity and I can handle you in heaven, but I can't do anything while you're on earth. Is that it? Do not worry. The word anxiety means to be torn into. Worry is where concern controls you. Because of the concern, I can't sleep. Because of the concern, I'm losing my ability to cope. Concern has now become the controlling factor. Whatever it is you face in of itself is controlling you. And even when it comes to, say, people have some kind of a chemical imbalance, they have some kind of a physical imbalance, something going on with the brain. Do you know that we can even speak to that? That Jesus Christ can heal you of everything. Every infirmity in your body, Jesus Christ can heal you from it. And he wants to. Not only can he, but he will. I will be thou clean, he says. So we just got to come in agreement with that. This thing is dictating how you function, who you function as, who you are, how you are, where you function, whether you function. It owns you. 
it becomes a crippling fear. If you want to get over worry, you got to get rid of one of your masters. Worry will track you down if you've got more than one master. If you've got God over here and something over here, since the definition of worry is to be torn in two, if you're going in two different directions, you're going to keep in that worry zone. If the eyes are dark, what does it say there in 622 in Matthew? The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body, right? Depends on what you are focused on. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light, correct? If there's not clarity in the eye, everything else is in trouble because you've become divided. With masters, we stay divided between masters. What do you mean by that? What have you made your master, your idol? Resources, finances, money. So if you've got two different masters going in two different directions, it's going to keep you torn. Again, the light is in the eye and the whole body can function because it's seeing things clearly, isn't it? But if the eyes are dim, the eyes are dark, the whole thing is in trouble, isn't it? Your feet are in trouble, doesn't know where it's going because you've become divided with masters. You stay divided between masters, you stay worried. It says you cannot serve two masters. A master is somebody who tells you what to do. A master controls the priorities of life. He says, do not worry, O ye of little faith. Then he goes a little deeper. If you're consumed by worry, if worry is your middle name, if you weren't worrying, you wouldn't know what to do it yourself, then you don't understand God. You don't understand his nature and you do not understand his providence, his priorities. Look at verse 25, Matthew 6, 25. Therefore, I say unto you, one version says here, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you're going to wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Take no thought for your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, and not for your body, what you're going to put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? I like the way the Amplified Bible says, therefore, I tell you, stop being worried. Stop being anxious, perpetually uneasy, distracted about your life. What am I going to do? What am I going to wear? What am I going to drink? Where am I going to work? God just said, don't worry about your life. The body is more than raiment. Have you ever actually studied or paid attention to nature? Verse 26, look at the birds. Look at the birds. They don't sow, they don't reap. But their heavenly father feeds them. Even Solomon with all that, what, billion dollars that he had or how much absolute boatloads of money, probably billions really if he counted it. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor they gather into barns. Yet your heavenly father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? Even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these lilies of the field. Verse 30, Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Verse 31, Therefore take no thought, saying, What are we going to do? What are we going to drink? Where are we going to work? Where are we going to shop? They're doing the vaccine. Where are we going to eat? Where are we going to drink? What are we going to be clothed with? How are we going to buy clothes? We're not going to be able to work. Therefore, take no thought saying these things like, what are we going to fill in the blank? What shall fill in the blank? For after all these things, do the Gentiles seek? 
For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. Here's the contingency. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. And then again it says, Take therefore no thought for tomorrow. For tomorrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. We're not even promised tomorrow, folks. So basically, when you're divided and you're stressing and you're worried about this stuff, you're the God of your life. Isaiah 26, I will keep him in perfect peace, his mind who stayed on me. God gives peace in every circumstance. I'm not saying that life isn't hard. In this world, you will have tribulation, but be a good chair. What? You just said I can expect trouble, and then you're bouncing off that and saying, but cheer up. When God allows trouble in our life, insecurity that drives us from concern to worry is creating an opportunity to see that he is God. The next time you're tempted to worry, this controlling force of worry, I got to think, I got to think, I, I, I got to figure out a way, I got to figure out a plan. No, we need to give it to God. And let's go back to that other thing here, the Gentiles. See, the thing is, <laughs> we don't know who we're dealing with. That's, that's the whole point, isn't it? So we find ourselves under this stranglehold of worry. And yet he says, red letters, don't do it. It's a sin. Fear not. Worry not. Do not be anxious. And when you do it, you elevate the natural over the supernatural. We're not living in this world. The world is in chaos. Yes, any newspaper, any political voting poll will tell you, yes, the world's in trouble. Look at who our leaders are of, of the United States and Canada, just for starters. Isaiah 26, I will keep him in perfect peace, he whose mind is stayed on me. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. Satan is the god of this world. The prince of the power of the air. I mean, look at is going on with the media. We see it. We understand what's going on. We're aware of everything the devil is doing, we're, but we're so focused on what the devil is doing, we're really not emphasizing what God is doing. Second Thessalonians 6 verse 8. You know what? We can get into even hexing ourselves, cursing ourselves. The times we curse ourselves is the times that we let out of our mouth, but I just don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just so worried. I'm just so stressed. I'm just so anxious. You know that we can do witchcraft on ourselves. So let's ask God to forgive us for the times that we've cursed ourselves. We've hexed ourselves. We've done witchcraft on ourselves. Do not lean on the arm of the flesh, folks. With us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. Remember what it says, and the people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Let's go through some of these scriptures. Fear not, for I'm with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Isaiah 41.10. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. Psalm 56.3. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Peace is what I leave with you. It is my own peace that I give you. I do not give it as the world does. Do not be worried and upset. Do not be afraid. John fourteen twenty seven. I do not give it as the world does. Wow. Isn't the world's peace contingent on everything? 
going to and fro every which way. Look at this headline. Look at that TV show. Oh my gosh, look at that Facebook post. Oh my goodness, look at this. And we get so bogged down in every single thing going on. Oh, look at the stats and look at the variants. Look at this, look at that. And you're in that steady fear. But God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. Second Timothy 1.7 says, Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. Psalm 94, 19, when anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought joy to my soul. But now this is what the Lord says, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Isaiah 43, 1, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, thy comfort me. Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Joshua 1.9 We just went through Matthew, the entirety of 6. 1 Peter 5, 6-7 Humble yourselves then under God's mighty hand so that he will lift you up in his own good time. Leave all your worries with him because he cares for you. Isaiah 35, 4, wow, says, be strong and don't be afraid. God is coming to your rescue. Look at all these scriptures. Cast your cares upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. Psalm 55, 22. And look at it says in Mark 6, 50, immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Deuteronomy 31, 6, the Lord your God goes with you he will never leave you or forsake you. God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. Psalm 46, 1. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Proverbs 29, 25. What did Jesus say? He got up and he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Be still. Then the wind died down. It was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why? Are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? One of my favorite ones, the angel of the Lord encampeth about those who fear him and he delivers them. Jesus told him in Mark 5, 36, don't be afraid, just believe. Seek ye first. That's a priority. You have one master and one father. He is first, period. And what he says goes. And that worry does not have to be the controlling element of your life, does it? As soon as that worry shows up, that anxiety, you've got a formal invitation right there to pray. Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. It's like God saying to you, you and I, we need to have a conversation right now. That doesn't mean you just pray it in the morning. That means when worry and stress and anxiety come about, you need to pray right then and there. And sometimes you need to rebuke those tormenting spirits, the ones that have you all bound up with worry, anxiety, rebuke the spirits of anxiety and fear and torment and worry and stress and get in the word and meditate on these scriptures. 
and you, even if you're driving along and people think you're crazy and you're talking to yourself, you need to have a conversation with God. God, I give you this. I repent for this worry, this stress, this anxiety. I don't know what's going on with me lately, Lord. And if you think it's something where there's, it's become a chemical thing, it's become a chemical imbalance, then you lay your hands on your head and you speak to that. You speak to the brain. You speak a supernatural reversal to any damage in that brain. You speak to spirits of trauma. You command them to get out of that body. Oh, witchcraft, mind control, things like that. You start writing a list of things down. Ask the Lord, what is this? What is tormenting me here? He will show you. And what does God say when you come to me? Come with thanksgiving. It's hard to do that sometimes, isn't it? It really isn't natural for us to be thankful. A lot of it is we want to grumble, complain, murmur, groan, and moan about everything that's not working in our life. And we all do it. And that's when we need to repent in the midst of your request. And then he said, the God of peace will meet you in that space. Psalm 55, 22, cast your cares upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will meet you in that place. Okay, this is what we need to do. We need to get rid of that but, don't we? That B-U-T, right? Let's think about it. Change the place we put B-U-T because here's what we normally do. I trust God, but you don't know what I'm going through right now. I love the Lord and I know he's able, but I don't know how I'm going to pay these bills. Let's turn this around and try this way. I don't know how I'm going to make it, but... My God said he is going to provide all my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. I'm struggling, but he is able to do exceedingly abundantly all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be the glory. He is able. You got to put God in his rightful place, don't you? Not reacting to you, but reacting to him and his word. And you can toss worry aside. You know, sometimes where there's drug abuse or there's alcohol abuse, the deeper a person's been involved in substance abuse, sometimes it really mars the mind. It becomes, your mind becomes unsound. Sometimes demons will have affected the mind, the will, and emotions. In some people, physical, mental or spiritual damage is so pervasive that the mind just shuts down. Others can appear normal. They hold down jobs. They carry on these coherent conversations, yet their thinking, especially concerning spiritual things, is completely handicapped. Satan steals their cards a few at a time. They stay in the game, but they're not playing with a full deck. And prolonged worry can be a part of this as well. God can restore your mind. Let God rewire your mind. Help comes to those who can humbly receive correction. You know, most of us are unaware how much fear really comes into play, how much fear we really have, and consequently, what we pay for it. Because we really live in fear every day. We live with fear, anxiety, stress. We make decisions based on fear. And a lot of times we do it without even realizing that we're doing it. If we're not able to recognize the enemy, our battle to conquer and overcome them is severely limited. Jesus taught us that we would know them by their fruits, right? Paul taught us in Corinthians, the key to stopping the enemy from getting the advantage over us is what? 2 Corinthians 2.11, lest Satan should get an advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. The enemy's kingdom operates on fear. 
God's kingdom operates on faith. But because we're so unaware, so comfortable living with our own fears, we allow fear to make choices in our life. In essence, you're habitually allowing demons to make your choices. That should be under the control of the Holy Spirit, right? And how many decisions in a day do you allow a spirit of fear to make for you? Decisions based on fear are rooted so deeply that sometimes we don't even realize why we do the things we do. But we need to root out fear from our belief system in order to be changed into the image of Christ, into the victorious, overcoming, confident person that you can be. Ask yourself if you're making that decision based on fear or fact. Did God tell you to do it? Are you being led by the spirit of God or a spirit of fear? Are your choices made because of fear? Do you procrastinate because of fear? Do you not talk to a certain person for fear of confrontation? John 10.10, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Do you want to put an end to Satan robbing you? Well, start by taking back your own decisions instead of allowing spirits of fear to have it. Fear is a spirit. Remember 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. So fear is not just a feeling. It is a spirit. Spirits of fear manifest through our thoughts and emotions. And many times we allow fear because we think it's just us. It's in our makeup. That's how we're made inside. So we don't bind it. We don't attack it. We don't get rid of it. Folks, fear is demonic and it's usually activated by demons. And victory comes only by dealing with fear correctly. Fear, anxiety, torment, stress. And you know what? Sometimes it's like, oh, well, I talked to myself. I talked myself out of it. Talking to yourself or trying to console yourself with encouraging thoughts will never silence the fear screaming in your mind. Cast that thing out in the name of Jesus. If you keep doing it and you keep binding it and casting it out, you'll be able to live in victory over your fears. And it might be a process, but fear dealt with as an enemy can be conquered. The price that we pay for allowing stress and anxiety and fear to remain is our personal victory, the abundant life that Jesus came for us to have. Not only that, but when we choose fear over choosing God, we displease him. We very much displease God. Fear has consequences in our relationship with God. Hebrews 11.6, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Romans 14.23 tells us whatsoever is not of faith is sin. You got to become aware of the fears and the stressors in your life that battle and bring defeat. Fight back and overcome them. Here's a scriptural example of fear. Let's take a look at King Saul throughout the life of King Saul. We are shown many examples of his fears and the high price that he paid for allowing those fears to make his decisions. These examples reveals to us the importance of overcoming fear if we are going to successfully lead or have authority. We see in King Saul how fearful choices can cause us to lose even the blessings God desires for us to have. We find the effects of fear in, let's have a look at 1 Samuel 13, 5, 8. Here we see that fear can demoralize even a whole group of people, a person or a whole group of people. 1 Samuel 13, 5, 8. Let's read. And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand which is on the sea 
shore in multitude, and they came up and pitched in Michmash, eastward from Beth Haven. When the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were distressed, then the people did hide themselves in caves and in thickets and in rocks and in high places and in pits. And some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. And he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him, that he might salute him. And Samuel said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash, therefore I said, The Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. Well, here we see the demoralizing effect of fear on all of Israel. When they saw the Philistines in large hosts, they were afraid. They were hiding themselves. Fear was making their decision, and they went and hid. Saul made a very tragic and wrong choice here based on fear. He was not called or anointed to offer up the offering. That was the prophet's job. Because of fear, he made a wrong choice. Samuel had tarried and was not there. And Saul was afraid the army was going to come down and they would not be able to go into battle until the offering had been made. So he said, well, I'm just going to go do it myself. That was a wrong choice for him. It was a decision based on fear. They did not wait until the Lord said, now is the time. He did not wait for the man of God to offer up the sacrifice. They got ahead of God. So getting ahead of God and demoralization are some of the effects of fear. The high cost that King Saul paid is a further reminder to us. If you read in 1 Samuel 13 and again in 1 Samuel 15, we see numerable examples that came from Saul's choice of fear, a choice he later found no comfort in. His fear cost him his position of king. God viewed his fearful choice as disobedient and took away the kingdom that would have established all the days of his life. That's truly a high cost. And Saul did not take God's warning to heart. Two chapters later, we read another example of more decisions based in fear. As we read on, we see that fear can be the root of rebellion and disobedience. Saul admits to being afraid of people, and we know that he was afraid of being replaced. Thus, his anger towards David manifests by his trying to kill him. Let's look at a case here in Gideon. In Judges 7, we read the story of Gideon and his defeat of the Midianites. Judges 7, 2, And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. Now therefore go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned to the people twenty and two thousand, and there remained ten thousand. This shows you how many there were. Remember I said in the beginning that most people have fear? Two-thirds of the army were too afraid to go into battle. They were fearful and faint-hearted. The Lord said to the fearful, go home. 
I have too many to proclaim glory for myself here anyway. So 22,000 out of 32,000 people went home out of fear. Just think about how many went home out of fear. And this is true in the Deliverance Army as well, that those that are going to be in the ranks of full of faith and unafraid will be in the minority. This is also a good example of how fear transfers in a group. You can just imagine the fear of going into battle and watch it spread throughout the whole army. Let's look at another example in the Bible based on fear. Genesis 3, 9, the Lord called Adam and said unto him, Where art thou, Adam? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. This is where fear actually does enter. This is the first really account we have of fear, isn't it? When God asks us personal questions like this, he's not asking us for information. God already knew where he was. But he gave Adam a chance to confront his sins, confess his fears, and come forward about it. The decision to hide from God was made out of fear. Adam was afraid of God, once because he'd sinned and also because he was afraid of being seen as naked. So he hid himself from the very presence of God who loved him and could show him mercy. He hid himself. Fear results in us hiding from relationships. Out of fear of being exposed, fear of being found out, we become silent with our communication and draw away to a place of isolation. Fear always costs us the blessing of open, honest, intimate relationships with those we love. A very high price indeed. Another example of fear is when Moses sent out 12 spies into the promised land and they came back with a negative report. The giants are too big. We cannot do this. We'll never be able to go to battle with them. Two of the spies said, we can do it. We can defeat them. God has given them into our hands. So the nation of Israel made a decision based on fear to believe the 10 over the two. The fear of the 10 spies transferred over the whole camp. Decisions followed based on fear not faith, that carried an extremely high cost to a whole generation of God's people. Even though they heard spirit-led, godly reports from Joshua and Caleb, a report about the land flowing with milk and honey, yet they chose to believe the fear-based negative reports of the ten. They could have vetoed them. They could have been chosen to go along with Joshua and Caleb. But because of their fear, they chose a decision based on fear. They did not journey into the promised land, everyone over the age of 20 died in the wilderness. Now I know what you're thinking as you read, not I, I would have gone along with Joshua and Caleb. But I think closer to the truth is unless you have been delivered from spirits of fear at the thought of worrying with giants, the fear of loss of security, safety, and the fear of dying would cause you to side with the 10 spies. Look at Numbers 14, 1 through 11. In examining the ramifications of their letting fear make their decisions, Scripture reveals even more besetting consequences. Take a look at Numbers 14, 1 through 11. Because what does it say there? They are needlessly weeping. They're crying all night. Fear robbed them of their peace. It robbed them of a good night's sleep. They began to murmur about God's chosen leaders. This is fear in action, blaming somebody else for the fact that you're afraid. Remember, fear is personal. You own it. It's your fear. Fear strains relationships, not to mention the fact that now they were in trouble with God too. Out of fear, they were going to fire their God-appointed leaders and replace them with somebody of their own choosing who could take them back to Egypt. In choosing fear, it always leads back to bondage, away from the will of God and away from the promises, purposes, and intended blessings of God. Are you beginning to see how the enemy robs you of all the good things that God desires for you? 
Fear takes away all common sense and reasoning and blinds you to all that you will lose by giving into your fears. Let's read Numbers 14:11. And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me, and how long will it be before they believe me? For all the signs which I have showed among them, I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and will make of thee a greater nation and mightier than thee. Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people, according unto the greatness of thy mercy. And let's skip down to 27. How long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel which they murmur against me. Say unto them, as truly as I live, saith the Lord, as ye have spoken in mine ears, so will I do to you. Your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness, and all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number from 20 years old, and upward, which have murmured against me. Doubtless ye shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein. Save Caleb, the son of Jephaniah, and Joshua, the son of Nun. But your little ones, which ye said should be a prey, them will I bring in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. But as for you, your carcasses, they shall fall in the wilderness, and your children shall wander in the wilderness forty years and bear your whoredoms until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. After the number of the days in which ye search the land, even forty days each day for a year, shall ye bear your iniquities. The end result of this act of fear brought judgment from God and a rescinding of his promise to take them out of bondage unto the promised land, a place of rest. A whole generation of family needlessly wandered and perished in the wilderness. This is the ultimate loss a person could suffer, the loss of the blessings and favor of God. Consider, too, that their great plans of returning to the safety of Egypt never materialized. The great plans and ideas birthed out of fear to avoid the things feared will never happen. It's as if the two negative cancel each other out. Not only is there the loss of the blessings of God by not going forward, but also a loss of all investment in trying to avoid and appease the things feared. Fear is more than an emotion. It is a spirit. Its power and influence over us can cause enormous battles. The outcome of these battles carries with them both temporal and eternal consequences. It is not something to trifle with. Don't make decisions based upon other people's fears. Put your trust in the Lord. Ephesians 6.16 Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Elijah was a great man of God regardless. He also experienced severe battles with spirits of fear. First Kings 19.1 And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets of the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life, as the life of one of them tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, how he had slain all of her prophets of the sword. So what did Jezebel do? She sent a runner boy with a message to Elijah, notifying him of her intent to kill him in the same manner as he did her prophets. Elijah read the note and was overcome with fear. He was afraid, terrified, he arose and ran for his life. He came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. After traveling a day's journey in the wilderness, he sat down under a juniper bush in self-pity, and he hoped he would die. 
Notice once again the fruit of fear, running away, trying to hide, and no prayer relationship with God. Why didn't he stop and pray about the message from Jezebel to get the mind of the Lord? By God's grace, he came and met him under the juniper tree and talked to him. Just think how different this chapter of his life could have been if he had not been afraid. Picture him standing there with a bloody sword from killing 450 prophets in one hand and a note proclaiming his death from the queen's stationery in the other. He could have said to the queen's runner boy, go get her, bring her to me, I'll take off her head too. After all, what's one more head after the feet of 450, right? He lost the opportunity to finish the job, and another man of God had to destroy Jezebel, that wicked queen, an enemy of the Most High God. Elijah did not get to finish her off. If he wouldn't have run in fear, God would have probably given her over just like the other 450 to judge. But instead, Elijah made a decision based out of fear, and he ran for his life. He lost a tremendous opportunity to stand and serve the Lord and forever changed his biography because of not finishing the job. For all eternity, he will be known as the man who ran from Jezebel. But let's not be too hard on Elijah. Witchcraft fear is incredibly powerful, and I doubt that any of us would have fared any better. I can't say that I've met many Elijahs in my life. In John 9, 22, Jesus healed the blind man. Here the Pharisees and the Sadducees came up to his parents and they asked him, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but by what means he now sees we do not know, or who opened his eyes we don't know. He is of age, ask him, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Jesus Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Here we see that their testimony, the parents of the blind man, we see that their testimony was silenced because they were afraid of being rejected and excluded. They were afraid to stand up for Jesus and say, yes, Jesus Christ, our Lord, reached out and touched our son's eyes. And now he sees and we are praising God for that. They couldn't do that because they feared the Jews. The power of fear can silence our testimony. The very thing that we are here to do and God commanded us is to proclaim the good news of what Jesus Christ has done. The power of their testimony. Why didn't they? Because they could not do that because of fear. And let's look at how fear transfers. This has to do with the laws of warfare. Fear is so powerful that it can take over a whole group of people. Deuteronomy 20 verse 8. And the officer shall speak further unto the people, and they shall say, What man is there that is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return into his house, lest his brethren's heart faint as well as his heart. One of the reasons that we need to deal with fear is because it can transfer and go from one person to the next. Paralysis, fear, and torment, and even agony can set in. And it may have not been the situation at all, but see how fear can travel. For example, in the workplace, this can be very devastating because, say, somebody's saying, well, we're all going to lose our jobs. So it promotes rumors. It promotes fear. Somebody else's fear of the company collapsing, then this paralyzing and tormenting fear sets in. This principle of the fearful not being allowed to battle is the same one that we just saw in the earlier account of Gideon in Judges 7.3. Don't even think that because you're afraid, you won't be required to get involved in deliverance. Oh, no. Now that Jesus Christ has come, you're to receive deliverance from your fears so that you can get into the battle. 
in God's kingdom, all Christians are to be soldiers. It's not something you volunteer for. It's something you are. 1 John 4.17, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out all fear. Because fear hath torment. Think about that. Fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. He that fears has not yet matured in love. We all have a way to go before we can love as Jesus Christ loves, do we not? Fear is a childlike attribute. It's generally a component in all relationship conflicts. And deliverance from spirits of arrested development fears will yield tremendous results in the quality of your relationships. If you're working in this area, come against arrested fears. So we see that along with fears comes yet another spirit, the spirit of torment. Not only does fear block our growth and development, it also brings torment. Fears often get their start in childhood, and the older you become, it grows increasingly, and it becomes more difficult to keep your fears at bay. God doesn't want us to just manage our fears. He wants to deliver us from them. Fear poisons. Listen, the very nature of fear causes us to not want to deal with it. But the longer we allow it to manifest in our lives, the more toxic it becomes. It affects not only our relationships, as we've been looking at this, but it affects our health, our mind, and especially our heart. Luke 21:26. men's heart failing them for fear. And we've already said, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. There's a lot of health risks. And maybe that'll add some motivation and anger to fight back against these spirits of fear. Scripture reveals that our mind and our heart are connected. In fact, we're supposed to do our greatest thinking from our heart, not our brain. Proverbs 23, 7. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Wisdom resets in the heart. Matthew 15, 18. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts. Luke 6, 45 says, For the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. Luke 24, 38. And he said unto them, Why are ye troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? So let's pray right now. I want everybody to come in agreement with me. And I want you to say, Father God, right now, I confess all fears. I confess all wrong thinking. Father God, I need your help. I need your mercy. I renounce this fear. I confess this fear. And as a result, you've just closed the door. I close the door to fear and I break the curses that came in through any type of fear, even family line fear right now. Father, all the toxic thoughts and toxic emotions that are buried even in our very DNA and the recesses of our mind and body, all these chemicals that came from toxic thoughts and emotions, which have built up over long term, we command those things to get out of our body right now. In the mighty name of Jesus, I bind the spirit of fear, hostility, rage, anger, all fears go right now. All frustration go in the name of Jesus. Get out. Come on. I ask angels to come in. Lord, send in your mighty angels to do battle for us and pull those things out of here. Everyone listening that is facing a lot of uncertainty, torment, fear, all the adrenaline, the, you know what adrenaline is produced by thoughts and emotions such as fear, anger, and it runs wild in the system. Father, all adrenaline that went amok, I speak a supernatural reversal to any fear that's caused any kind of damage. 
any fear, anger, hostility, and anxiety that has affected the heart, I command that to be broken off the people right now. Toxic fear, paralyzing fears, all fears, you name your fear right now. Every chemical in the body, I speak for Jesus Christ to heal the body right now. I ask for God to supernaturally heal everyone's body right now. All the fear, even blood pressure that makes the coronary arteries thicken and it affects everything in the body. Well, I speak a healing to that. Father God, I ask you right now to heal your people. Heal your people, Lord. Everything that's going on at a cellular level, we speak to the cells. We speak to the cells according to the chemical information molecules that are stored in them. We speak life into those cells, even the DNA inside your cell. The importance of the words Jesus said, fear not. I speak fear not into your brain, into your heart, into your DNA, into your very cells. Be of good cheer. I lose power, love, and a sound mind into you right now in the name of Jesus. We bind and break the power of all these tormenting spirits that are bombarding you with toxic thoughts and emotions. Father, right now I speak a supernatural healing to every part of their brain, every part of their heart, every part of that brain, the mind, the will, the emotions, the heart. Lord, I ask for a supernatural healing for God's people right now. We come to you and we confess our fears. We confess that we've made decisions out of fear. We've let the fear of others keep us from moving forward in Jesus. But it's time to do what God's called us to do. We're going to step out on that water. Jesus Christ gives us the power and the faith to do it. And we're not going to let fear or insecurity, which is a manifestation of a spirit of fear. We're not going to be fearful. Fear not. Psalm 56. Let's meditate on that. In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. And another good one, a psalm. Write this out. Psalm 91. You know it. And write out Psalm 112 as well. 7 through 8. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He shall not be afraid until he sees his desire upon his enemies. John 14, 27 again. Let's advance. You're the head and not the tail. Whenever or whatever you are afraid of, you bind it in Jesus' name and tell it to get out of you. God's people should be calling the shots. God's angels are ministering spirits that you can loose to come and minister to you in your battles of fear. Loose them upon yourself, and they will come to help and empower you to get the victory over these spirits of fear. Loose power, love. And right now, Father, we do. We loose power, love, a sound mind, might, courage, strength, boldness, faith, determination. And my prayer is that God will deliver you of all of your fears. Help us go forward in your power and your might and in our authority, Lord, and help your people rise up and do mighty spiritual warfare and become part of the army of the Lord. Affirmed resolve and strength. We rebuke these devils just like Jesus rebuked the storm. We rebuke this storm as well. We rebuke the power of being controlled by fear. We're not going to have a job. We're not going to be able to go to work. You know what? You are Jehovah Jireh, our provider, and we declare that. We are not going to let anybody intimidate us. Fear is a form of control that is witchcraft. Witchcraft control. We bind you and break your power. The Bible says fear is a torment. We rebuke the tormentors. Father, deliver us from the hands of our enemy.
Renounce your fear right now. Fear of what? You fill in the blank. I fear. Fill in that blank right now. All layers of fear. We rebuke you and we command you to come off the people right now in Jesus Christ's name. And all the fear, even in layers of you got to go buy this and they're running out of food and we're running out of that. And all the steady fear, it's coming on both sides. Fear of not having enough money, not having enough food. The steady fear that's surrounding. It's just spirits of fear on multi-levels deep-seated anxiety and stress we lose the judgments of god on you you foul spirits of fear you spirits of death get off the people right now fear not them which kill the body the scripture says in matthew 10 28 but are not able to kill the soul but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell that should be our first concern right now start binding up those devils you start doing this too every day and start doing daily spiritual warfare that is really important carl and i wrote power prayers warfare that works and it works and that is an important book because you need to do daily spiritual warfare folks it is so important in these very last days i'm going to end on ephesians 6 16 above all taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of god amen and amen. And if you do not today know Jesus Christ as your Savior, Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever shall believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And John 14.6, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, except by me. Admit your need, Romans 3, 2, 3, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If you confess your sins, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you confess right now with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and shall believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It is that simple. And so if you've done that today, we also have a resource. Reach out to us at SheilaZelinski.com. You've made the most important decision in your life. And I can't wait to hear from you. And for all of God's people out there, just remember that God loves you and you have the victory in Jesus Christ. And I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Go to SheilaZelinski.com and reach out to me. We get back to everyone. So please know, give us time, but we will get back to you. Thank you so much for tuning into the broadcast today. We'll see you real soon. Good night and God bless you.